Listen up, real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and agents. You're in the right place. Unlocking the secrets to real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Titanium Vault, hosted by RJ Bates III. Here's RJ. Welcome to the Titanium Vault. I'm your host, RJ Bates. Today I'm sitting down with Luke Weber. Luke, how are you doing? Good, RJ. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So why don't you take a second to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do in real estate investing. Yeah, uh, I'm a full-time real estate investor. I've been full-time since 2012. Uh, before that, I was a, a real estate appraiser, uh, pretty successful one at that, but I, I figured I'd rather uh, not work hourly and work for those big chunks of money that flipping allows me to do. Uh, so currently, I'm, uh, I run a real estate investing firm. We consistently have 40-plus flips going. Uh, Vegas is our primary market, and uh, we're open in Reno and Phoenix and Houston and a few other spots that we're looking at. But, uh, yeah, we, uh, we stay pretty active in the uh, fix and flip game. Cool. So let's go back to 2012. How did you break into real estate investing? Well, I actually flipped my first house in 2003. I, I, I became an appraiser in 01, and I was still a little young, and uh, I finally saw a house in 03, and I was like, you know what, let me uh, let me jump on that. Uh, fixed it up, flipped it, and uh, made about, uh, well, actually over 80 grand on it. Uh, so that, that kind of was the, uh, the start of it. At that point, I knew absolutely nothing about getting educated in this business and, and, and ways to find other properties, creative finance, all that kind of stuff. And I, I really, over those next few years, I, I bought rentals, I did more flips, and I just kind of did my own thing. Uh, I stopped buying when the market crashed. And uh, 2010, I said, you know what, we're at the bottom. Let's get back into this. I started uh, uh, buying flips again and buying rentals. And uh, just one at a time here and there. I think 2010, I did uh, uh, like 10 properties. Um, and then I, I kept increasing in 2012 when I had consistent income from it. And I didn't need any other income coming in. I'm like, you know what? Let's take this full time. I, I've got a business partner that he and I had teamed up in 2010. And uh, we, we both said, all right, we're in. And uh, it's uh, just been growing since then. Awesome. So when you started full-time rehabbing houses, was it just you and your partner, or did y'all immediately bring on employees? Well, we had uh, – so he was an appraiser also, uh, and uh, he had an office manager and an assistant that he had in that appraisal company, and we kept them on for our flipping company. Uh, as we, we sunsetted the appraisal company for him, I had already shut mine down, and um, – we, so we kept those two on. Now, they were mostly paperworks, uh, turning on and off uh, uh, utilities, uh, insurance quotes, all, all that kind of busy work that we didn't want to have to deal with. Right. And uh, that, that definitely helped us uh, spend more time where we were most valuable, finding properties, finding investors, and uh, really looking at the deals and running the numbers. So your main strategy right now is just fix and flips, though, correct? Yeah, I'm not uh, – uh, basically, if I find a deal in my markets, I'm going to buy it. <laughs> so I'm not wholesaling anything. Right. Uh, I've wholesaled in the past, uh, but I'd rather not leave money on the table. I'd, I'd rather keep all that for me. Yeah. Uh, 
and uh, uh, you know, I, I, I'm typically not buying rentals anymore right now because the cap rates aren't anywhere near I need them to be. Uh, 2010, 11, 12, when pricing was just ridiculously low, uh, we were getting amazing deals on rentals. And now it's like three cap, four cap, five cap in these markets. Right. And uh, it's not something I'm after. So let's talk about the business that you have set up now. You're doing, you said you have 40 properties at any given time that you're rehabbing. What does the structure of your business look like? Yeah, so we're uh, at 40 at a given time, and our turnover on our properties is between 90 and 120 days on average. That means that that's roughly um, it's, it's our projection for next year is 150 flips. Okay. So that that's the what we're looking at as a business structure. So I'm I'm the main uh, uh, face of the company for those guys that. Don't know me out there in the, in your uh, your listener world. Um, so you, you'll see me on social media and, and doing all that, mm-hmm. and that's because I'm the the main acquisitions guy too. Um, we don't do a lot of mailing, um, SEO, um, uh, pay per click kind of stuff uh, for our lead generation. Um, I, I'm acquisitions, okay. and that, I, I get a lot of that through networking. Now, my business partner, Tony, he manages the office, and he, uh, he uh, uh, handles the closings and, and deals with uh, the paperwork, uh, the post-closing or post-sale uh, um, numbers and all that kind of stuff. Gotcha. So then so, we have – go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Okay. Oh, so just the peripheral staff on top of that, we have an office manager who's basically our, our, our mother hen – keeping us in check, making sure we're doing all of our stuff and, and that the employees are on track. We have taking care of HR and payroll and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we've got an in-house accountant. Then I have a in-house transaction manager, and she's amazing. I, I just Once I lock up a deal, I just send it to her, and then we just run it through the system, and we, we, we close them out. Um, and then I have a in-house uh, uh, project manager coordinator who deals with our construction crews. Gotcha. So let's talk about acquisitions since that's what you're in charge of. You say you get majority of your deals just from networking. Is that from wholesalers? Is that motivated sellers? How are you getting those deals just from networking? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. The more you let people know what you do, the more they're going to be bringing you what you want. <laughs> right. Uh, so I, I get a lot of deals from wholesalers. Uh, new and experienced wholesalers alike. Um, and, and I think one of the reasons for that is because I'm always willing to share and to help. So I'll have wholesalers bring me questions about properties, and I'll answer them. And you know what? Sometimes I don't get those deals, and, and that's okay because I know I'm building that goodwill, and they'll eventually bring me something down the road. Uh, you know, Whether this one didn't work out for me numbers-wise or whatever the case is, I, I'm, I'm happy to help people. Uh, but social media, I've had people, uh, homeowners, find me on Facebook, whether it's through me personally or maybe through one of my uh, uh, business sites on, uh, on, on Facebook or uh, you know, Craigslist Investor Care Lead Generation kind of things. Um, but it's, it's always throwing it out there and letting people know what you do uh, is, is great. Don't be shy about telling people that you're, you're investing in real estate and you're looking for properties. 
Right. And and I think that's so important, especially nowadays. Business is kind of transformed. I talk about this a lot with the power of social media. I, I mean, honestly, I, I try to put myself in like my dad's shoes, and I'm like, I don't even know if I could run a business back in the 80s because everything that I do now kind of focuses around the Internet and social media and getting our name out there that way. So that's a very important thing for someone who's looking to get into this business to understand the power of social media. Yeah, you know, when we really look at it, our smartphones, for instance, are roughly eight years old. Right. Uh, now, you, you mentioned running a business in the 80s. I actually I, I ran a travel company in 99, 2000, and then I ran my uh, appraisal business through all, all the way through the 2000s. And we didn't have social media back then. I mean, there wasn't that sphere that we have now to right. connect and grow in. And uh, really, that just means that you've always have, you always have to be changing, changing what you do, being aware and keeping your ears open. When you hear somebody talk about something, listen, because it might be the next thing. And, and you know, keep jumping on them. So as someone who's run a business prior to the smartphone, is it easier now? <laughs> I'm traveling more. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's definitely easier. I do. Uh, I actually do a lot on my phone. I'll even be sitting at my my desk and uh, in my my office, and you know I've got multiple computer screens. I've I've got all the processing power I need and can see it, but I'll still revert back to my my phone for things. Like I'll have Facebook up on my computer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'll be t- messaging somebody back on my phone still. <laughs> That's funny. I'm I'm glad I'm not the only person that does that because I, I catch myself doing that all the time. It's like I kill my phone sitting yep. at my computer. Yeah. Like, I could have done all of this right here on my computer, but instead I just killed my phone. So uh, that's pretty funny. Um, what you and I have had a couple of conversations about working together and and me wholesaling you properties and things along those lines. And one of the things that you said to me that really stood out was whenever a wholesaler sells you a property, you don't want them to double close to you because of FHA guidelines. Can you go into a little bit more detail about that? Yeah, you know, that's that's one of the reasons. But uh, as far as for me as a flipper, when I'm selling my houses, I, I want to know who my end buyer is. And a lot of the houses that transfer through the wholesale world are lower income properties, where the end buyer typically is going to be somebody that is purchasing with an FHA loan. Now, there's been some recent changes to this, but I think it's still uh, in effect, whether whether it's still an FHA requirement or if it's a primary banking institute requirement now, that if a property has transferred twice within a 12-month period, it won't be eligible for an FHA loan. Right. So that means that if you double close, right, uh, uh, RJ, somebody sends you a deal, uh, or let, let's say you you've got a deal, right, yeah. and um, you you buy it from them, and then I, I buy it from you. We have that double close, right? My money's right. used in both transactions. That's a whole other show. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, now it's it's recorded two transfers within, and that's just a one day period. Uh, so I would have to wait 12 months, typically, for an FHA loan, t- for that house to qualify for an FHA loan. Right. 
And I think that's so important for anybody who's going to be a high-volume rehabber to understand when you're purchasing the properties, you need to understand those guidelines and those rules so you don't end up in a situation where you can't sell the property because you didn't know what you were buying or how you were buying the property. So that was something that really stood out to me when you explained that to me as a wholesaler. I have no problem with that at that point in time. You've explained, I, I want the transaction to be successful for you as the rehabber, and so I don't want to put you in a bad situation. So it makes complete sense to me as a wholesaler in this transaction. Yeah, and the other side of that is I think it's just a silly thing to do in 99.9% of the cases because it just costs you more money. <laughs> like, why why have two transactions when you really only need one? You've got the seller locked into a contract, and the, the buyer has agreed to the fee. Uh, just let it all be known. <laughs> so so I, I just got done interviewing Max Maxwell, and and he's a, a high volume wholesaler and and he was discussing with me about how he interviews his buyers before he even puts them on his buyers list and his example that he uses is if i get a property under contract for $1 and i'm going to sell it to you for $100,000 even though the arv might be 250 are you going to have a problem with the fact that I'm making $99,999? If the answer is no, I don't have a problem, they go on his buyer's list. If it's yes, I have a problem, then he doesn't put them on his buyer's list. I, I think that's a, a good example. For you as a rehabber, do you have a problem when a wholesaler makes a, a large amount of sum as a wholesale fee? Never. I, I don't count other people's money. I understand what it goes into finding the deals and negotiating them. Uh, you know, they, he might have been working that deal for 18 months for all I know. Right. And as long as the deal works for me, awesome. Right. I actually just uh, put a post up about this where uh, a new wholesaler is making 27 grand on a on a, a property, and you know somebody made a comment that says, "Oh, you better be making 100 grand on that yourself." Then, like, no, it doesn't matter. I. What what I'm making, the numbers work for me. I mean, I'll probably end up making fifty five or so on that deal, so it still works out. Right. But I'm not going to knock somebody down just because of their fee. I'm going to knock it knock the my, my purchasing price down because I need it at a lower price for it to financially make sense for me to flip it. Right. Yeah. You know, but I, yeah, I don't go after other people's money. <laughs> So see, I'm I'm kind of a hybrid. You know, we do a lot of wholesaling, but we also do our own fix and flips. And I buy properties from wholesalers all the time. And because I've done both, and, and like you said, you've done a little bit of both. You've done more rehabbing than wholesaling, but I understand what goes into it. And like you said, you know, the wholesaler could have been working on that deal for 18 months, but it, it's even more so than that. It's about how many marketing dollars were spent on that didn't generate leads or, or offers that were made, you know, how many offers were had to be made before the one got accepted. So the property could be presented at the numbers that you as the cash buyer wants the property to be at, you know, that's, that's what's important. They're presenting you with deals at the numbers that you want them at. That's what's the most important thing about all of this. So, that's just my two cents as a 
hybrid between a wholesaler and a rehabber. You know. Yeah, there, there's definitely a lot of money that uh, wholesalers spend. I have, I have some of my wholesalers are in the range of $50,000 a month in their marketing. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about your rehabbing business. Um, with 40 properties going on at a time, you said you have a project manager. Is that project manager in charge of all of those rehabs, or how does that function within your business? Uh, so I still deal with the scope of works. Uh, that's part of uh, we're actually looking at hiring a uh, – a new guy to join our team to take that off my plate as well. Uh, but scope work really is a value-related issue. And with my appraisal background and my, my ability to really determine ARVs accurately, I, uh, I, I don't want to hand that off just yet. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, but my, So my project manager, uh, she, she has most of the day-to-day communications with the contractors uh, once we've established the bid on my end of things with them. Uh, um, uh, she's. We, we have two field inspectors that we send out, and they're at each of our properties uh, twice a week, or twice a week. Each one of our properties is hit by at least one of these guys, gotcha. and that that way we, we're managing it. We know what's going on with the property, whether it's not being rehabbed, in rehab, on market to sell, under contract already. We're still viewing our properties because they're our babies, and we want to take care of them. We want to make sure that these deals go as profitable and as quickly as possible. Right. Uh, so that that's what our project manager really does. She does a lot of hand-holding of the contractors and our, our field inspectors. All right. So for someone who wants to become a rehabber and do it on a similar type of volume that you do, when you talk about a, a deal that works for you or the numbers that work, how do you break that down? What is your buying criteria? <laughs> well, so some people love this answer and some people hate it, but my buying criteria is I'll buy anything I can make money on. <laughs> there you go. And uh, you know, it's it's when you really start thinking about it, if you're doing if you're used to doing just targeted like okay, I'm looking for a house that's a one-story 1800 square feet or less, rehab less than 30,000, you know, when they deal with me, it's like, well, so wait, are you? Will you buy something that's five hundred thousand? Yeah. Will you buy land? Yeah. Will you buy a multifamily? Yeah. If I can make money on it, I'll buy it. <laughs> right. Uh, that, that's that's the way I, I kind of deal with it. Now that's in my primary market. When I'm looking at my deals in Phoenix, I'm a little bit different on those. Right. Uh, because when I'm doing my remote rehabs, I want them to be easier. So I'm looking at. Uh, for instance, in Phoenix, my, my numbers, when somebody asks me that question, I tell them I want an ARV of under 300000 rehab should be less than 30000 lipstick, no conversions, no additions, and uh, that's about it. Gotcha. So I'll still do condos, townhouses, single families, all that kind of stuff. As long as it fits that criteria, I'll do it because rehabbing remotely is more difficult than doing it in your own backyard. Is there a certain percentage that you want profit-wise or percentage of ARV, or is it just flat, if I can make X amount of dollars, then I'm good? When people ask me that question, I'll tell them that I I should be making 15% uh, for my cash-on-cash return, meaning if I'm putting $100,000 into the project, I should be netting out $15,000 off of that. Right. So it's not based off of ARV necessarily, 
but that's just the cash on cash return. So if I'm buying something at 100,000, 50,000 rehab, 150,000 total, I should be making 27,500. There you go. But let's just be clear that a lot of people don't run their numbers the same way that you run your numbers. Right. And that's why I say if I can make money on it and if you think it's a deal, just send it to me and I'll review it. Because I want to run my numbers. I don't want to look at somebody else, have somebody else look at the numbers and say, "Oh no, he won't. He won't want to buy this." Right. So you mentioned that Houston, Texas, was one of your remote markets that you're working in. Is that a newer venture due to what happened with Hurricane Harvey? It is. Yeah. So we've uh, we actually have one of our contractors that moved down there a couple years ago. So we have some pretty solid boots on the ground. Somebody that we've dealt with before. That's really the only reason why we're we're looking into it. Um, you know, there's there's good deals to be had. I was actually just out there last week. Uh, we're closing on, I think we're closing on a Houston house today or tomorrow. Uh, okay. So so we're gonna run a couple through our system, see uh, see how the rehabs go, and and uh, you know, right now we're just looking at home runs. And then once we do a couple, and this is the way we expand into any market, we do a couple see how it goes, review the numbers, and if we like it, then we expand and we will we'll take it to, you know, uh somewhere between 3 and 3 to 5 a month. Gotcha. And the property that you're closing on in Houston was that self-generated from you or did you buy it from a wholesaler? Uh we actually got that one off the MLS. There you go. Uh, so we've we've been seeing a lot from wholesalers. We've uh, uh done some some self-generated actually. Uh, uh, through our contractor out there, um, but uh, with the way the insurance insurance payouts are, some of them are just dragging along, and we wanted to before we spend another three months waiting for some of these to close out. We said, let's get this one. Uh, it's it's again, it's an entry level house. It's the ARV is around four four twenty five for this one. We're picking it up at two thirty, and it needs about sixty in rehab. So you're buying it off the MLS, and and this is always, uh, I love this topic with rehabbers. Obviously, you don't have a problem with buying off the MLS if you're doing it, but what is, what is the reasoning behind not having a problem? Because so many people that I talk to do have problems buying houses off the MLS. Well, see, the, the, the main problem that people say is that, oh, you're paying retail, and it's there's no good deals on the MLS. If you know how to look through the MLS and sift through it and, and, and set up your criteria there, you can find deals. I, I buy probably two a month off the MLS right now. And they're yeah. good deals. I'm not making five grand on these. I'm making 30 grand on these. For the newer wholesalers, take notes of what's about to happen here. So if Titanium Investments were to find properties for you off the MLS in Houston and the numbers were accurate, would you be willing to buy from a wholesaler with a property off the MLS? I've bought from wholesalers off the MLS before, meaning where they lock up the deal and they assign the contract over to me. I've actually, when I was doing some wholesaling, I actually did that myself. I've got no problem with it. <laughs> yep. It, it's so funny, man. I I have this conversation all the time with rehabbers, wholesalers. I've I've talked to several guests here on the podcast and t- 
to me, the MLS is just a tool that can be used by all of us. It's another wholesaler. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, I, it's like you just broke down those numbers of the deal that you're buying. If the numbers make sense for you, why does it matter if it's coming off the MLS? It doesn't matter. It's, it's not going to impact. I, I've, I've bought deals off the MLS that I've flipped and have never once did the end buyer say, well, you bought this off the MLS, so I'm not going to pay you more. We rehab the property. It's a whole different property at that point in time. It doesn't matter. Nobody's going to care that it came off the MLS at that point in time. I've never had that. Have you ever had that come up as an issue that you bought a house off the MLS and then rehabbed it and sold it for more money? No, I mean, every once in a while you deal with the uh, the agent when you go to sell a flip, and they say, well, we know how much you bought it for. Right. And when somebody says that, you say, well, if I bought a $100 bill for $20, is that not worth $100 still? <laughs> Right, I just got a good deal. It's still a hundred dollar right. bill. Right, that's that's what we tell those agents. And then if they still argue it, we say, "Well, go buy something else if you want." <laughs> exactly. I mean, and I've even offered to break down the numbers to them. Like I can show you what we spent and what we're making on this. It it all makes sense. If you were in my shoes, you would want to make the same amount of money. It's what we do for a living. It's it's our job to make profit when we buy and sell houses. Um, regardless of wherever we generated the lead. And I love that phrase. I've never had anybody say that before, but the MLS is just another wholesaler. I love that. Yeah. So a uh, little bit off topic, but, but I, I, I kind of wanted to just dive into that because I think it is important for people to understand. Um, just last week I had an episode where it was just Q&A and I was answering questions from, from other listeners and subscribers to the podcast. And, and one of them was talking about marketing. And one of my answers to that was is one way to break into wholesaling or rehabbing properties is free marketing, which is the MLS. You always have access to the, those leads right there. And so many people say you can't find good deals on the MLS because everybody's on the MLS, but not everybody's on the MLS constantly and constantly putting in competitive offers. Well, and the other side of that is you don't even have to be on there constantly. You set up some auto searches through several different agents, right? and uh, you can just get the deals brought to you. Now, shameless plug, right? I, I wrote my book, The Flipping Blueprint, and in there, I actually describe the auto searches that I do in my business that gets me deals because <laughs> you know, awesome. I, I'm just there to help people. But right. the thing is you have to act fast. So, yes, there might be a hundred other people out there doing the same thing, scrubbing the MLS for deals. But you know what? Maybe they're looking at 20 other ones before they get to that 21st one. Maybe you're looking at that 21st one first. So right. don't just don't say, well, somebody else is going to get it before me. Why? Right. So good segue. Let's talk about the flipping blueprint. Oh, good. Um, you, you caught on to that. That was the... Uh... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. That, no, I'm kidding. That, I'm kidding. That, that was you like, hey, RJ, let's get back to my book. Um, so walk me through the process. What was that like creating that, and, and what was the purpose behind you writing the book? Well, the book originally started off as... I, I was, I've been helping and coaching people on how to flip and and uh, as I got more active in social media, um, I, I was kept getting like the same questions. 
Uh, people kept asking the same thing. I just found myself repeating myself, repeating myself, repeating myself. Mm-hmm. And that's not the best use of my time. So I started by writing uh, four or five kind of white pages, uh, uh, information-specific, uh, uh, subject-specific kind of uh, things that I could just give to some people. And then after I wrote those up, I was like, you know, really I'm kind of a third of the way to a book here. I might as well just fill in all the gaps, throw in a whole bunch more information, and get it out there. Because I see so many people getting into bad deals, losing money, uh, struggling to uh, get into this business, and, and people paying tens and tens of thousands of dollars for non-functional education seminars. Um, you know, I, I, so many different things that I've seen through the, uh, through the years. And I thought, you know what, let me put this book out there. I know it's going to help people. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've gotten some amazing feedback on it. Uh, people telling me that they got their first deal off of it, uh, uh, just with the information in the book. So it's, it's been pretty, a pretty cool process from the start of it through it. And now it's been out there for, I think we uh, launched the book in January We've sold a few thousand copies of it, and uh, uh, you know we've got uh, a, a growing group of people that uh, are really finding value there. And then from that, you created a Facebook group, the Flipping Blueprint group. Yeah. And and what has that been like for you? Because I know I, I see people ask you questions all the time. They also share success stories from, like you said, yeah, read your book went and implemented some of the practices that you preached, and here I am, and here's my first deal. What has that been like for you? You know, it's, it's, it's great. It gives me a more condensed forum to help people. Uh, you know, at the end of the book, I, I put in there uh, to, for people to join the Flipping Blueprint group page uh, as just to, to, to drive them there, because if people have more questions, you most likely are going to have the same question that somebody else has. And I'd rather, instead of getting private messages on those questions, for somebody to put that into the group page where it can actually be seen and talked about uh, and, and, and help more people. Uh, but it's, it's fun. I, I find it really rewarding to help others. I, I live a life of abundance. Uh, I, I do pretty well. And it's, it's just one way that I can share and give back. And, uh, you know, it's, I don't have a scarcity mentality. I don't worry about you know, oh, where's my next deal going to come from? Do I have to get every single dollar on this one? Or, you know, should I help this person in my market because they're going to take deals away from me? I've trained people to flip houses here in Las Vegas, which is my primary market. They've got right. deals that I'm like, man, that was a great deal. How did I not get that one? But good <laughs> job. <laughs> so do you see yourself writing more books in the future? Uh, you know, I've got uh, I've got a, a couple in the works. Um, it's a it's a process, though, and uh, uh, you know we'll we'll see what happens. <laughs> is is education in your future? Well, I do education right now. Actually, I've got okay. uh, my missing pieces program. I, I called it the missing pieces because so many people get into this business. Uh, whether they pay for other education or not, or they're, they're just trying to wing it on their own. But they're missing pieces to really put the whole thing together. And I wanted to 
give an opportunity for people to come learn from me directly and uh, walk my flips with me and, and have me more of a, a, a handhold process. We actually just had our member Q&A last week. We do that monthly. Um, but uh, it, it's a way for me to give back. Obviously, that, that there's a price tag on, on that kind of stuff, but um, it's more, more time uh, of learning with me, through me, uh, than I can offer just on the group page because I can't be in there 24-7. What was more fulfilling for you, the book or the education program? You know, they, they both fulfill differently. Uh, the book, I know it's out there and helping people. I don't, I probably haven't heard from, I don't know, 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 other people that have bought it. So, so that's, I, I know it's out there, but did they actually read it and are they doing it? I don't know. But when I see my students closing on deals or I end up helping them out of a bad deal they're already in, um, you know, uh, I, they wholesale their first deal, whatever the case is, and it's it's like wow, I couldn't have done this without you. I'm like, you know what? That's that's a pretty cool thing to hear. Uh, you probably would have got there eventually, but I'm glad I was able to speed that along and help you through all those hurdles that came up. Right. So obviously, you're running a very successful business already. You have the education program, the book. You're working on future books. What is your why behind all of this? My why is my family. I, I, I'm married. I have a beautiful, wonderful wife, and I have a 10-year-old boy that uh, is just an amazing, uh, amazing kid. And uh, you know, the, the the why starts off as I, I need to provide for them and, and take care of them and, and and take care of myself. And then it kind of becomes a bigger why, but it's all centered around them. Uh, you know, it's uh, we're uh, I'm surprising them with a trip to Paris this Christmas. They don't, they don't even know about it yet. So hopefully, oh, man, that's awesome. Uh, but being able to do those kind of things and have those family experiences is just uh, uh, a, 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 an amazing thing to be able to do. Um, but uh, you know, I also get to coach my son's soccer team, which. You know, some some dads don't even make it to a game throughout the entire season because they're so busy working right. for somebody else. And uh, you know, I, I'm there every practice, every game because I I choose to be and I want to be part of that uh, part of my son's life. Yep. Well, I'm I'm right there with you on on that part. And like you said, you know, I I coach my son's you know athletic teams, be it t-ball, soccer, flag football hockey, whatever it is, and uh, there's there's not many things quite as fulfilling as those moments. Um, you know, we, this past week, we just wrapped up a flag football season, and, you know, getting to, to tell the kids bye, and I enjoyed being their coach, and seeing the smiles on their faces, and it, it, may, it reminds you of, th this is why we, we put all the time and effort that we do into building our businesses so we can have those moments. And you're right. I mean, um, I feel blessed to be in that position because there were so many times where I saw only one parent could make it to the game or to the practice. And and because of what you know I do and what you do, we get to experience it all as well as what we have with our with our businesses. So 
I completely concur with uh, with that why. Um, that being said, where do you see yourself and your business being in five years? You know, I, I'm going to assume that within the next five years, we're going to have some sort of dip in the market. Uh, but I don't see that stopping me from doing this business. Uh, I, I'm always going to have my my flipping business, real estate investing firm, but in five years from now, I'll be a lot more removed from it, and I'll probably be traveling a bit more <laughs> and uh, um, doing bigger things, still most likely in real estate. There you go. So I went on the flipping blueprint group, and I asked for questions, and and we we did get a couple of <laughs> responses, and so I, I'm not going to ask the exact specific question, but I'm just going to get your feedback because it's all the rage right now. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on cryptocurrency, Bitcoin compared to real estate? Because I think there's there's this new trend where it's like if you're a real estate investor, suddenly you're also interested in cryptocurrency. So what are your thoughts on that? You know, it's it, it's it's funny because there's a there are a lot of guys doing really really well in cryptos, and that's what they do. They're crypto guys, guys and gals. I, I use guys to encompass everybody, so please nobody take offense to that. It's okay, uh, right? Uh, but uh, um, they're they're trading every day, right? So so cryptos is the new forex. Forex is the new uh, stock trading. Um, uh, there's all different ways to be successful in these niches. Now, the people that went and bought Bitcoin a year ago and, and put $1,000 into it or 5000 into it, and what, it's up five times over the last year, right? So if you right. put five in, you're at 25. Uh, so something like that, right? That, right. That, that's cool. You know, congrats. But don't come to me telling me you're an expert in it because you just kind of rode that wave. Now the other, right. there, it's it, it is a bit of a Ponzi scheme, and if you if uh, you guys haven't looked at it to see how it's really happening, uh, I, I'm trying to remember. There's there's 40 people who own the majority of all Bitcoin, or, or some some kind of crazy number like that. Right. So what when they start selling off because they've been the drivers of this, what happens? You know, when, when right. Bitcoin starts getting accepted at the grocery store down the road, then we'll talk. Right. <laughs> right now, it's just a, uh, you know, I just uh, saw somebody use this analogy that it's just like the craps table in Vegas. And and I, I, I completely agree. I've been at the craps table, and, you know, I, I throw $100 down, and all of a sudden that $100 is $2,000. Next roll of the dice, it's all gone. <laughs> Right, that can happen with any of these cryptos, and we've seen it uh, when the exchanges are falling apart and closing for four-hour stints, and you can't buy or sell. I mean, it's it's a little scary. I know I'm doing pretty good in real estate, so I've stuck to real estate. That's my niche. Well, I concur with that. Um, I I feel the uh, the same way. It's just. I'm going to stick with what I know I'm good at, and uh, 
if I miss a huge wave, well, maybe I'll I'll bang my head against the desk five years from now. But uh, I, I'm going to keep at what I'm doing with real estate, and uh, I, I know I'll be happy with that decision. So um, it, it was an interesting question, and, and obviously it was phrased to you because it was a, a, a follower of yours or a buddy of yours yeah, who, yeah. I guess, told you to buy, and, and so he was kind of giving you a hard time about it. So I just wanted to throw it out there and get your feelings. But, uh, Luke, hey, I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us today and uh, and share about your business. Uh, for everyone who's listening, if they want to connect with you, what's the best way they can contact you? Facebook, Luke Weber, and that's Weber with one B. I'm sure you'll have a, uh, a link uh, somewhere yeah. there on RJ with my info. Um, Facebook is the best way. Uh, friend me, join the Flipping Blueprint group page. Uh, uh, just reach out. Um, I'm I'm pretty active on social media, and uh, let's uh, let's help you get more deals done, and increase your knowledge, and keep you investing safely. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us today, and uh, I'm gonna go to work. I'm gonna go find you a property in Houston to buy from me. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good, RJ. <laughs> All right. Talk to you later. All right. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Titanium Vault with your host, R.J. Bates III. For more info and to stay up to date, visit www.podcast.thetitaniumvault.com and on facebook.com slash thetitaniumvault. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time on the Titanium Vault. Titanium Vault.